Hi, this is Steve O'Mooney, and you're listening to another great show only on the 4i Radio Network. For more great shows, feel free to check out www.4iradio.com. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. <laughs> and is your spider sense tingling? Oh, sorry. Hold on. I got like a bunch of sand in my in my shorts right now. I need to I need to fix this first, and we'll then we'll uh, get back to it. That is the worst. To listen to the show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And this week we are continuing our discussion on the animated series Spider-Man from 2017, uh, which is available on Disney Plus if you would like to follow along. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And (laughs) I don't know why I tried to transition like that. That was cool. Anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) this is a fun. This is a. I like this episode. Uh, I do too. Yeah, Yeah. Off the jump, I'll say I enjoyed this one a lot. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. It does a lot of unexpected stuff. It's a starting symbiote stuff, which, you know, we kind of, I guess, expected was going to be coming sooner rather than later. So yep. there's going to certainly be a lot to talk about in this one, actually, because it's definitely definitely a surprising episode in a lot of ways, I would say. Oh, yeah. This is Season 1, Episode 6, entitled Sandman. Very simple title, uh, but does not at all encapsulate everything that happens in this episode, I th- I'd say. Oh, no. <laughs> synopsis per imdb is spider-man meets the sandman it helps him reunite with his daughter with an assist from the symbiote that's really the most informative synopsis that we've gotten so far actually yeah yeah and and yet it still leaves surprises to be had right 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 this episode kind of rules actually now that i think about it i'm into it yeah me too me too original air date was september 16th 2017 it was written by jt cruel who wrote on Robot Chicken, which we've heard before, and Super Dinosaur, which we've all heard before. So lots of crossover going on here. Other cool thing, just a fun fact, just because it's sort of a weird selection of things that we don't get, we never hear about on like kids' animation credits. JT Cruel was also a production coordinator and or assistant on Clerks the Animated Series, Eurotrip, and the last three seasons of Seinfeld. Which is just such an interesting combination of things. Just yeah. uh, never run into any of any of those things on our podcast yep. because of the type of shows that we cover. Those are all firsts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really fun. Really fun. Um, I think he was actually like, like, I don't, I guess production coordinator, like the, one of the top, like per, people in charge of production, like production crew stuff on Seinfeld, which is kind of a big deal because that was like, wow. once it had already been a hit. So like. Good job, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah, that's so strange. <laughs> but yeah. I guess once you're working with the folks on Robot Chicken and Super Dinosaur, like you, it's very easy to see the connection once you have the full sort of spectrum there. Yeah, yeah. This episode is another one directed by Soul Choi, who we've talked about. I think he's directed three episodes now. Um, we've talked about him on our episode number 80. 
Yeah. Well, we got a bunch of characters to talk about, a bunch of voices, but a lot of them we've already talked about or met in other series. So shouldn't take too long for some of these folks. First character that we're introduced to in this episode that we haven't seen before is Hammerhead. And I thought that we weren't going to hear Hammerhead speak in this episode, like probably for the first like 60% of it. Mm-hmm. And then we get a bunch of it. So worth mentioning here, worth talking about the voice actor. Uh, it's Jim Cummings. And wow. I was trying as I was listening to the episode, I was like, I know who this is. I actually guessed, I was trying to guess for a bunch of them and I was wrong on the ones I did guess, but couldn't even guess. I was like, ah, who is this? I know who this is. Well, it's Jim <laughs> Cummings who we've talked about before. So that's that's why it was familiar. Jim Cummings, we talked about in our episode five as Shocker in the 90s animated series. And we also mentioned him briefly in our After Dark commentary number four as the character Hawk Fu from the Jackie Chan adventures. And if you're not familiar with him, he is the voice of Winnie the Pooh and Tigger in pretty much, if not literally, every single Winnie the Pooh property since 1990. So if you don't know him from other things, you've heard Winnie the Pooh's voice. That is Jim Cummings. He's done a lot of stuff. He's done yep. a lot. Done a lot of stuff. Yep. Once I heard, or like once I saw he was Shocker, I was like, oh man. Yeah. I, I hear it now. <laughs> yep. Yep. We've seen Flash Thompson before, but we actually get a little bit more substance from Flash Thompson. So might as well bring up his voice actor. We have very little to say here because we've said a lot already. This is Ben Diskin. We first talked about Ben Diskin in our episode 12 as Eddie Brock when we discussed the spectacular Spider-Man. Brought him up again in our episode 20 as the cynical American kid Chris Taylor in the anime Marvel Disc Wars. And we talked about him just a few weeks ago because he's also the voice of Spencer Smythe in this very series. So we are very familiar with Ben Diskin. Oh, yes. We get Flint Marco, also Sandman, and he is voiced by Travis Willingham, who we very briefly mentioned in our episode 36 as the voice of Thor when we watched Phineas and Ferb Mission Marvel, the movie. We didn't really talk about him, though, so I got a little bit more for this guy. He's also a member of Critical Role alongside (laughs) Matthew Mercer, who is Alexi slash the Rhino in this series, and his wife, Laura Bailey, okay. who is the voice of Gwen Stacy. So, okay. And his wife being Travis's wife, not sure. Matthew Mercer's. <laughs> that would have come up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Travis Willingham is the English dub voice for Roy Mustang in both iterations of Full Metal Alchemist. He was also the voice of Knuckles the Echidna across a bunch of Sonic properties, television, video game, whatever, for nearly a decade in the 2010s. I think he only recently, like within the past couple of years, passed that on to somebody else. And unsurprisingly, because we've mentioned it before, he's the voice of Thor across the current slash recent Marvel animated universe. So Avengers Assemble, Agents of Smash, Guardians of the Galaxy, and who knows if we get the Avengers in this one, probably the show as well. And since he's done those, uh, it's no surprise that he also is the voice of Thor in, I think, all of the Marvel Lego properties, mm. probably including the cartoons, but I'm not 100% sure on the cartoons. It would just make sense, though, if he were. Sure. His voice is one that I did not guess correctly. I I was like, I, th- I was trying to figure out who it was because it was sort of familiar, uh, but I wasn't totally sure. And what I landed on was like, if it's somebody I already know, maybe it's Tatashore. Because he does kind of sound a little bit like Max at certain points. So that was yeah. like my guess, but I was wrong. <laughs> He's definitely putting on a voice that's like a vodka oh, yeah. of a lot of Fred Tatashore's characters. So yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So that was my, my swing and a miss on that one. And then we are introduced to a character named Kimia Alvarado, 
we don't get her last name. I just I looked it up because I wasn't sure if it was Marco or not. Yeah. But we get Kimia Alvarado, aka Sand Girl. Hmm, interesting. And she is voiced by Sophia Carson. Sophia Carson has a connection to another character from this show and a lot of Disney properties because she portrayed Evie, the daughter of the evil queen in the Descendants franchise alongside Cameron Boyce, who was Herman Schultz. Mm. Um, No real surprise since this is a Disney property. We're going to keep getting those Disney Channel voice actors in here. Um, She co-starred in the Disney Channel original movie television remake of Adventures in Babysitting, which hmm. I guess was like their hundredth movie. It's just why I remember it. It was like oh. a big deal, I guess. I didn't even know that that happened. Yep. So she did that. And she portrayed Ava in a single season sequel series to Pretty Little Liars called Pretty Little Liars, The Perfectionists. I didn't know that happened either. Wow. I mean, I haven't seen Pretty Little Liars. That It's funny. Pretty Little Liars and The Descendants are both the types of things that have been like recommended to me as like, sure. if you... If if you aren't like a shitty dude who like hates every teen girl thing, which I'm not, I like a lot of like stuff that's aimed towards like the teen girl demographic most of the time. Like those are yeah. both like really fun things to watch, and I have not seen either of them. But yeah, I've seen the first Descendants movie. I did like a a recommendation trade with my niece. I wanted her to watch Onward, and she was not interested. So I said, okay, well, if you watch Onward, you can tell me to watch a movie. And she chose The Descendants. So I've seen that. And I don't really have anything negative to say. It's it's fun. It's sure, like yeah. a very cute, cute sort of like interpretation of those characters yeah. uh, with good music. So why not? Seems like a fun con- – the concept is like sold me already. I just never really got yeah. around to checking it out. Yeah, totally. And I've never seen Pretty Little Liars either. So I don't know if The Perfectionist is like an obvious thing, like if it's a very straightforward spinoff or if it is just like part of – an attempt at like a Pretty Little Liars franchise. I have no idea, mm-hmm. but it didn't last long, unfortunately. And then she also, because she was part of Descendants, this is not going to be a surprise for anyone who's seen it. She's appeared in a number of like solo duet and group performances on soundtracks for movies she's appeared in, um, including like a Cinderella movie she did. But I mentioned this because I feel like Sophia Carson is probably like exactly the kind of actress who will eventually just transition probably into being a singer I don't know. I don't know enough about her, but she seems like it. So who knows? Maybe it'll be like an Ariana Grande situation where it was like, I used to do TV that had music and now I am just a musical star. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm noticing with the show, I, 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 and I kind of like it that the show sort of runs the whole gamut of like the types of voice actors that you can get. Like, you know, when we've, we've covered, we've covered shows where it's just like, oh, they get a lot of old Hollywood movie stars or yeah. TV stars or, oh, this this is a show that just gets every every like major voice actor that has been in everything to play every character. And this one is just like a, a lot of variety up between like people like Jim Cummings who have been in everything forever since yep. the beginning of time. And then people li- like, uh, like Ben Diskin who are like more recent and have done a lot of anime and stuff but have also done a lot of American cartoons um, but just maybe aren't as like prolific and like old industry like voice acting as as other ones and then you got people like sophia carson who's like a disney channel star and stuff so you get a little bit of disney synergy but it's like when it's kind of mixed in with like it's not all one thing it's all mixed in with with like a different types of voice actors which i think is really interesting because i think it lets different characters have different sorts of flavors to them because they're all coming from different like eras of voice acting essentially 
I imagine it's a great thing because I feel like it means they're probably specifically trying to match people properly, or at least they're considering like who would be best for this. I mean, we do have every descendants character at this point, like of the main (laughs) cast has voiced somebody in this universe. We haven't gotten Cameron Dove in this show and probably won't because she's part of the, the rising Mm -hmm. universe side of things, which again, different universes, but like same era of the cartoons. And then Boo Boo Stewart is in there too. But like all four of them have voiced Disney era Marvel superhero characters. Um, But then, yeah, you get the same folks who like you get some of those big names from the 90s and spectacular. So, I mean, I I have to imagine that because of that, it's not just like, okay, who is our established talent already? Yeah, because it's it's more than just that. So, yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. It makes sense in this case because it's like you have a you know, a teenage girl character played by someone who is entrenched in like a, a, as a teen girl actor. And then you have like Hammerhead. That's a, that's like an old school thirties mobster played <laughs> by a classic voice class, yeah. more classical voice actor, like makes perfect yeah. sense. So I don't know. I don't think there is a, a perfect place to bring this up in the episode itself, but Kimia Alvarado I didn't know this character prior to this show, but I believe that we have seen this character very briefly in a show we've already covered without it being explicitly named Kimia Alvarado or identified as Kimia Alvarado, but as I think either an Easter egg or a seed of a character and I'm wondering if you know what I'm referencing. I have no clue what you're talking about. Oh, this makes me happy because I might blow your mind. I hope. This is my hope is I'm going to blow your mind. Okay. So I'm pretty sure that we saw what was supposed to be either Kimia or a reference to Kimia in Spectacular Spider-Man. This is the episode where Sandman and Spider-Man battle on the oil tanker. Before Spider-Man gets to the beach, okay. there's a little girl who has tan skin and dark hair and she's playing on the beach and she's trying to make a sandcastle and she's getting made fun of by a couple of boys sandman walks up and to get the boys to leave her alone he builds a big sandcastle around this little girl and is very nice to her and is like oh okay like you know no problem don't worry about it as it turns out kimia alvarado's sort of story in the 616 universe Uh is that she is probably flint marco's i think like sort of adopted daughter or daughter figure and they met on a beach where he built her and it's 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 not as sweet in the comic as i understand it but built her a big castle on a beach (laughs) where i think he sort of like was trying to give her like a nice life and it goes bad um that's oversimplification but that cannot be a mistake and it cannot be a coincidence that a girl uh, that looks like a younger version of this girl is on a beach where Kimia in the comics meets Sandman. And in Spectacular, he builds her a castle. And in the comics, he builds Kimia a castle. I love your thought process for that. but Does the ac- timeline not work? According to the Marvel Wiki, Kimia first appeared in December 2009. And that episode aired in July 2009 and was thus in production. Whoa! 
that's even more mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and 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 here's the thing: it's like Sandman having a daughter. I mean, I wonder if Kino no, 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 was not inspired Sandman having by... a daughter, but the specifics of the meeting yeah. on a beach and building her a sandcastle. Yeah, that is uh, that's that is the wildest coincidence. But I think that. But I think then, and that goes back to Spider-Man Three, though, because there was like a, a majorly deleted scene that was then like reinstated later on. Of, of Sandman with his daughter building, and he builds his daughter a castle on the beach, and it's a really beautiful scene. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah And yeah. they cut it out and put it back in the editor's cut, but if you're working at Marvel, you would know about that scene probably, or maybe you would have heard about it from a cut or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, well, that type of thing would have would have gone around and been, been in mind, and I think that they've probably spawned from that more than anything else. Well, I still think, unless somebody can tell me absolutely it's not the case... That that character is Kimia, even though she didn't technically exist yet. She looks like Kimia. She meets Sandman the same way that Kimia does. <laughs> and uh, they have very similar circumstances. And I would not be surprised if Spectacular would have ended up exploring Sandman further. And maybe she would have been around. But that's my fine. fan. I'm accepting uh, that. I'm, I'm locking it in. I will forever refer to that little girl now as Kimia. Hey. <laughs> That's fine. (laughs) Damn, months? Really? Months? They were off by months? Airing-wise. I mean, I think they were in production even before that, so it probably was closer to like a year before. But still, that's still like a year's difference. I still feel like it's a wild coincidence because they look similar, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess that's just a chance. I mean, you design characters like they're going to look similar, but I was like – I, I and I didn't check the timeline and I should have, but the moment I found out that Kimia was from the or like was in the comics and that was the origin, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> We've seen this girl. Spectacular so good, they were gonna have Kimia. <laughs> uh it is funny how that stuff kind of like accidentally lines up though. Alright, well, fuck me and my mind blowing theory. <laughs> yeah, that's a fine head cannon. Like stuff gets retconned all the time anyway, so why not retcon yeah. that? That's not like we're ever gonna see that like that show's never gonna come back. Like to yeah. continue so why yeah, not? At me it? and tell me that wasn't Kimia. <laughs> Unless you're Greg Weissman, fuck off. <laughs> uh all right, anyway, those are the characters that we meet here. And I think I mean, unsurprisingly, we talked the most about Kimia and probably will talk the most about Kimia because I think she's the most interesting addition to this show so far. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. I guess we could just dive in and get into the Kimia of it all. Let's do it. So this episode opens with Peter, Miles, Anya, and Gwen hanging out at Coney Island after like a fun gag where Peter is like concentrating really hard on something and they're saying things like, you have to calibrate the something or other. And it turns out they're at Coney Island and Peter is playing like a carnival game. But the the thing is, Peter's like there to actually play games and like experience Coney Island. And the other three are like trying to work on their latest project for the Stark Expo, which is stabilizing the V-252 so they can add it to the periodic table of elements, which Max has referred to before. So this team has been put in charge of, of kind of working on that. And I guess they're going to present it at the Stark Expo if they can figure it out. Yes. Dorks that they are. Uh, Miles, Anya, and Gwen are completely uninterested in having conventional fun because to them, having fun and relaxing is doing more science, which, it's hey, so funny. whatever, that's fine. I'm sure I do things that aren't that relaxing to other people, but, you know, then but don't do is, it at Coney Island. <laughs> it is, Yeah, it is still funny. Yeah, they went all the way to Coney Island, and it is still funny that it's Peter being the one that's like, 
Y'all, calm down and have some fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> Chill out with your science shit. Like, that's yep. Peter Parker saying that is hilarious. Uh, yep. But it's in line with what we talked about, like, last week, where it's just, like, putting a new perspective on Peter by putting him against, like, people who are even bigger nerds than he is. It's fun. Yeah. I love their cute little outfits that they're wearing. I love when cartoon characters change their clothes and they all look so good. <laughs> you do. You do. That is a well-documented mm-hmm. uh, uh, affinity you have. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's great. It's great. They all look adorable. I love Peter's little button up and everything. He honestly, <laughs> like he looks more formal and dressed up than he does like when he goes to school and stuff. So yeah, I love it. Uh, he was going, he was going out, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, they they say later on, I don't know if they say it here, but I definitely say later on that he was like basically their social director for their group. So yeah. he's like, all right, I'm taking charge of this. I'm going to force these kids to have fun. Well, and even <laughs> mentally comments on that, you know, like he, he says like at his old school, he was like, he was the socially awkward one implying that now he is not. So yeah, yeah it makes sense. And it plays into a little bit what we were, we were referencing last week about this sort of in-betweenness of and reversal almost of like Peter's position at school. But a reminder of that, this is something I referenced last week as well. Mm-hmm. Peter runs into Flash Thompson, who we only saw very briefly in the uh the Osborne Academy episode. And before the actual interaction, like between like whatever ha- like this all happens very quickly. So I'm like pausing for just a hot second. I want to know what you think about this because I feel like what we are supposed to take away from just Peter and Flash interacting before Peter even introduces anybody. Mm-hmm. It seems like Flash Thompson is not Peter's bully so much as like just a sort of rambunctious jockey kid that Peter knows from Midtown. Cause Peter does not seem uncomfortable to be around Flash. Yeah. I, I agree. I think I think what um what complicates it a little bit, but I think still kind of makes sense, maybe cl- even clarifies it. I know that in the one of one of the earlier episodes uh that has an Uncle Ben flashback, the one where Peter's really young. Oh, like he when does he, literally call him his bully. His bully. But but that seemed like they draw Peter to be a lot younger then, right? That's when he first right. hears great power, great responsibility. So I think it's it it's it could be a case where like Flash was his bully in middle school. They get to high school, grow up a little bit, and Flash like does is doing his own thing more. So like, because I I feel like I remember that kind of thing in high school or uh, yeah in in high school where it's like you have kids that like were in conflict all the time or that you absolutely hated at one point, and a few years later it's just like people just change like you're 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 changing rapidly, and so like. They probably have this history of bullying, but he probably is was wasn't like an active bully, you know, by the time Peter left. And it doesn't even matter because Peter doesn't go to that school anymore. He doesn't see him on a day to day basis. So, like, their relationship's just going to be different now, inevitably, you know. But I mean, like, did you get that vibe or am I making that up? No, like I think I'm making up Kimia existing. <laughs> I think you're no, I think I think you're right. It's yeah, it feels less like a bully and more just like there's things that Peter, they, they will never just hang out. Um, and they're never going to be friends, but I don't think, and, and maybe they could be like a little bit antagonistic towards each other is maybe what I'm reading, but like, it's not like an active bullying antagonistic situation. Like Peter um, doesn't even seem to have like a, Oh no, it's flash moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, flash. And then they kind of like, I don't know. They sort of like horse around a little bit. And Peter's probably, Peter's just in a better place in life anyway. Cause again, he's not seeing flash on a daily basis at school. He's yeah. got his spider powers. So he knows that's going to be fine. He's got to have other friends with him too. Like I, and he's in a, like a public place. Like flash isn't going to like beat him up in the middle of Coney Island. So like, I think it's just like, eh, it's whatever. Who cares? Yeah. I mean like all that's like 
protective and defensive stuff, but I just, I don't know. I I thought it was cool. Like, he even introduces mm-hmm. Flash to his Horizon friends, which he doesn't have to do. I think that um, says a lot. He doesn't, and he doesn't say, right. like, oh, this is Flash. He's a big jerk. Like, I think you're right. I think the bullying thing is in their history, but I think at this point, they know each other from school in the same way that a lot of kids who aren't friends with each other, but still know each other intima- intimately because they went to school with them know each other, you yeah. know? I don't know. I liked it because it felt like, even though, yeah, you're right. I, I f- totally forgot that as a kid, he literally calls him his bully. But in this moment, I just like the fact that there's the potential for if Flash is going to continue showing up, for him to be, again, not necessarily a friend, but not like a cartoonish bully to yeah. a high school age Peter. So, yeah. I'm just excited at the possibility there. Yeah. I think he's a little bit, cl- he's, he's closer to the spectacular version of Flash, I think, than some other cartoony versions of Flash that exist, um, potentially. That makes sense, yeah. Okay, all that happens very, very quickly, and we get pretty pretty quickly into the Sandman of it all, because as they are doing introductions, and as the three are having like this funny moment where they're analyzing Flash Thompson as like an alpha male, like compensating sort of jock character, a sandstorm hits, and then pretty immediately... A huge, semi-formed version of Sandman with a face appears. So, like, right off the bat, Sandman is here, and and shit starts to go down. Yeah, and it looks cool, too. <laughs> the Sandman stuff looks cool. Yeah, I uh, I thought that we were going to get, like, Kaiju Sandman, like, right off the bat. I was mm-hmm. like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it should be a big... You know what's also really cool and looks really good? That carnival worker that's at the, the strongman game that Flash is at. It's just uh-huh. this big burly guy in a purple shirt and a rainbow tattoo. Oh, just yeah. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> this is Max on his day off. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, they, they – uh, I think we've said it before, but the show uh, – well, I guess, we again, we still haven't seen any kids. The closest we get is Otto, but um, as far as adult men – they are not afraid to make bigger bodied adult men. So that's, yeah. You love to see it. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. That's just reminded me too. And other, in terms of other things that I like to see, I really like the, the, the prize that Peter was trying to win with his carnival game that we see him carrying shortly after is like a, a yep. beautiful unicorn plushie that For I himself. think he calls, yeah, that no, that's what I was gonna say. Like, it's like strawberry unicorn, strawberry golden hair unicorn thing. Like it's some, some like, hilariously long name for it that's like you know what i feel like other shows would would do would be him him winning it for his love interest like winning it for gwen or something like right. that and it's like no he wants that fucking golden-haired purple strawberry unicorn for himself and i really love that and he never <laughs> hides it even when he meets up with flash he never hides that thing yeah i love that i yeah. love that man. it's a very small detail but i'm very into it yeah it's so yeah Unicorns are cool. I, I dig it. Um, and it even is like a, like a mini plot point. Like that's, he uses it to, to, to change into Spider-Man later. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And it would only work if, if he cared that much about winning that prize, which he does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when this Sandman sandstorm hits, Peter does exactly what you're saying. And he uses the unicorn to break away from the group. He basically like pretends to drop it and it blows away and he's like oh no my unicorn and this is where he uses his opportunity to or this is where he ends up changing into spider-man and arrives very shortly after to find this mountainous version of sandman attacking and beginning to knock over kind of 
the Ferris wheel, which has a bunch of people on it. So not not good. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so yeah, so Spidey swoops in uh, in all this chaos and uses a nearby carousel as a pulley and anchor to uh, kind of save the folks who are on the on the Ferris wheel um, that's being ravaged right now. In an attempt to help direct folks, Anya is like, I'm not going to run for cover. I'm going to try to help. I'm going to try to help direct folks, right? Um, so, of course, while she's doing this, she falls, and their very super important science experiment that they brought to the fucking theme park in a glass canister. <laughs> that they brought even outside of Horizon High. Why God. did you bring it literally anywhere, God, let alone Coney Island? What did she think? She How were they going to analyze it at Coney Island? And it's in a glass jar. You don't have, what are, you, are they carrying an entire mini lab in that? Well, actually, well, yes. given I what mean, they do later, the they probably that is are. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> they definitely well, I, are. I think, <laughs> I think what's more ridiculous, and it's, it is ridiculous that they brought it outside of the lab, but it's kind of ridiculous that it's being kept in something that can shatter like that. Right. Max, yeah. come on. Because <laughs> she drops it, and because it's glass, it shatters all over the ground. Yeah. It shouldn't have been in a glass container. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not good. Yep. <laughs> well, this is where she finally is convinced to run, because when she drops it, Spider-Man swoops in and is like, just please get out of here. I will get your thing for you. But when he touches it, because he doesn't use anything to pick it up, which is kind of weird considering it's like a liquid substance, um, he just sort of picks it up. He has his gloves on. And when he touches it, he experiences a few things. Uh, He experiences like a vision of black. He hears sort of like a snarling sound. He says he feels pins and needles. And he sees a very brief flash of like a toothy maw, which we, of course, recognize, but he does not. Yeah. Yep. I wonder what's going to happen with that. Um, <laughs> they haven't been subtle. <laughs> They're no, not trying no. to be subtle. <laughs> I mean, they know. We they know that we expect it. So it's like, why yeah. not just just uh, you know? Yeah. Why not pile it all on, right? And I like this better than something similar that they do later in the episode because this they sort of explicitly say is like he's having what the equivalent of a flashback would be, except that he is not flashing back to anything. It's more of like a premonition, but it's oh, something he's yeah. he's literally experiencing, which I. I can get behind. Whereas yeah. we'll talk about it, but there's another thing that happens that I'm like, what is that supposed to be in universe? I'm actually not sure what you're referring to. So I'm excited to get to it's it. It's not a big deal. It's just a very small detail that I would cut out. And I don't think it'll surprise you when we get to it. Gotcha. Gotcha. In any case, uh, you know, since Spidey's just carrying just a big pile of gloppy ooze, Miles is like, Hey, do you want like a bucket for this? <laughs> um, <laughs> So Miles shows up with a bucket to carry the V-252. Spider-Man force leaves him to help this girl that Sandman seems to be targeting specifically. I just want to point out fun, just like a fun little um, detail. I, and I only know this. It's only it's like a split second. But you do see this girl running off with the crowd off of the Ferris wheel. So like yeah. she was definitely on the Ferris wheel. And, they, and, you know, there's no attention called to it. You just have to have remembered that you just saw her with the crowd earlier when you see her again being chased solo here. Which they I show is, her even more than that. They show her once before that as well. Oh, do they? I missed that. Yeah. Then, if they show they her, show her just her like off. walking in the crowd. Um, I think she she either like passes the group or it just is like a wide shot. And she's like walking through the carnival and then you see her on the ferris wheel and then you see her running here but yeah there's no reason to notice her until you know who she is and i didn't notice her until until 
we knew who she was. That's such great detail because she is. I mean, she's like yep. a pretty striking character design. But if you're not looking, so you will recognize her easily when you know who she is. But if you're watching it the first time, she blends right in, which I think is really clever to do. They didn't have to to do that, and yeah. and so I love I love the detail of sort of seating her in in the background earlier. Yeah, it's good because we don't even learn that she's important until way later. She just at this point is just yeah. a random girl being chased. Well, no, totally. Like, I think even when she was being chased, I just still was like, oh, that's just a girl. Like, it, yeah. it really honestly wasn't until she was identified that I was like, holy shit, we've seen her like four times. Yeah. This episode um, does a really nice job, I think, of holding that surprise until when it needs to be revealed, but still seeding it in such a way that it all still makes sense. Like, yeah. that's a really tough balance to have when you have any sort of mystery or anything like that. And they pull it off really, really well. Yeah. And we've already referred to, like, who Kimia Alvarado is generally. It's definitely not a mistake that they are playing on our inherent biases to assume that she would not be Sandman's daughter because they they look different. Like, he is always portrayed as a white person, and she is not portrayed as a white person, I expect. I think that's what they're going for here. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell. Her last name is Alvarado. But, yeah. <laughs> but you don't know that necessarily. But they, they, you know, our biases would typically tell us that they are not related, even though right. that would be wrong. So, right. And they know that. They know that. It's the same thing that that um, that Homecoming does. You know what I mean? Where it's like we're we're not assuming that characters are related when they are based on our biases. Exactly. Yeah. So nearby to where Sandman is chasing this girl, <laughs> uh, Miles, Anya, and Gwen are like, should we get out of here? Mm, no, let's not get out of here because we're scientists. And so they decide that they can help Spider-Man. Uh, with what they've sort of identified as like a shapeless Sandman. I think they say like, how's Spider-Man going to stop him? He doesn't have a shape. And so, you know, after Spider-Man helps the girl, Gwen runs up and is like, hey, Spider-Man, we made you a coagulation gun from parts (laughs) from the, the rides here at Coney Island. And the show acknowledges that this is silly because Spider-Man is like, I'm sorry, you just made a coagulation gun right now. And they don't really acknowledge it beyond that. She's just like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the show tends to like not do that too much. So I appreciate that when they do kind of like with the Osborne Academy, like you just created a solution to dissolve my web. Like (laughs) it typically happens with one character. Gwen is usually involved. So it's a thing that they can kind of lean on as like, this is part of of Gwen is that she is surprisingly good, right? Not because not because she shouldn't be good, but because she's so good at it mm-hmm. uh, that characters, even in her own universe, are like, "You did what?" <laughs> so it 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 ends up working and not feeling hokey to me, but uh, I think it's just because they've used it sparingly. I agree. I think it, yeah, I think it works. I think honestly, talking about it when we're like like oh yeah, of course they have entire mini labs in their backpacks because they brought the V-252, which was established. It actually makes a little more sense that they'd have the capability to do this quickly. It's like, actually, you know what? Kind of lines up. (laughs) Last week at the dance, Harry pulled out like a portable chemistry set (laughs) to start working on an antidote and tranquilizer from scratch in the middle of the chaos. Like they they all do. Like if they have a backpack, we can just assume there's a portable lab in there. Oh my god. Look, I know that they've like done a lot of good now and like it's been useful for them to be like this, but for the love of god, kids, play a video game or something, like go out let's go outside. You know what, like do <laughs> I like agree with you in like a real world sense, but also they're so happy. Like That's they're true. so happy. Like they literally tell Peter like this is our fun. And That's like That's a good point. 
I don't know. Like I like again, I agree with you. Like it's good to have varied interests. It's good to give your your brain a break and try different things and whatnot. And they are very resistant to like otherwise totally normal things. But <laughs> at the same time, it's like who am I to stop you? I guess that's you know? true. Yeah, they're not. They don't seem to be miserable. I mean, Anya. Sometimes I'm sort of like, do you have to yeah. have stuff you need to deal with? But for the most part, yeah. It's not like they portray them as overworked, at least not yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. It's like, I know it on an intellectual level that like they need to give themselves breaks, but they show no signs of any of this impeding their regular like daily lives. But we also don't know their regular daily lives, so they can afford to do that. True. Good point. So this coagulation gun, uh, (laughs) they use it. So I'm not really sure why. Maybe you can remember. I'm not really sure why Spider-Man insists on being the one to use it. It doesn't really seem to be for Gwen's safety because she's standing right next to him when he does. But ultimately, he takes it from her. He uses it. Maybe it's just a sight gag because it's like a, it's almost like a proton pack that he has to wear. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works. And it works just in time because Sandman sort of like lunges at him. He uses the coagulation gun. Sandman hardens into like a normal-sized man but made of sand and sort of ekes out as he freezes the word help. So Spider-Man's like, whoa, wait, hold up. Yeah. Before he can do anything, though, <laughs> Flash smashes the nearby water tank, washes Sandman away, and Spider-Man's like, whoa, what? Did Flash, uh, why? Yeah. Great first, like, twist in an episode full of them. Like, honestly, didn't expect that to happen, where it's just like, oh, it's like, it's, it's not even, because it's not even like, like, oh, you're introducing Sandman and automatically making him, I don't know, morally, morally ambiguous. No, you're a- introducing yeah. him and automatically making him, like, someone tragic it, who is in, like, some kind of terrible circumstance who literally needs help. Like, And it's quick. If yeah. It, if it felt like I rushed through that detail, it's because it happens real fast. Yeah. And it's, like, intentionally meant to just be, like, a quick little gut punch before he's washed away. And so it's like, wait, what the fuck just happened? Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's, really, it's really good. It's really well done. The only thing that feels a little weird about it is Peter, like, Peter is just sort of like, I guess that happened. Like, he's disturbed, but then, like, carries on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it. I love, I love that little detail, and I love the way they handle it because it's so – I mean, it's not subtle in the fact that it's – it's you. it'd be hard not to notice it, but uh, it's subtle in the fact that, like, it's a very, very brief moment. And it's it's just barely said at all. So yeah, and it's creepy. Like it's a close up mm-hmm. of you know a closing in on his like just his mouth as he's like freezing up. You know. Yeah. And he never you know he he never turns into a human. He is always like some sort of like half like malform sand form even even when he's coagulated. So like it definitely feels more like creepy science experiment gone wrong type of situation happening here. Yeah. Um, which is exciting. Yep. Love it. Love that stuff. So later, Peter returns to Horizon High, and his goal is to examine the sand that he managed to collect off of his suit. He's really excited because he's like, I'm going to have the lab to myself. I believe this is a weekend. So he's like, no one's going to be here. He should know better because instead of finding an empty lab, he finds Miles, Anya, and Gwen working on the V50, on the V252. They really got to, they really should have come up with a nickname for that. Hate it, hate it. Worst I know. Name. I trip up every time. It sounds awkward every time they say hate it. It's it. terrible. Anyway. So Peter's like obviously surprised as he approaches them to be like, what are you doing here? Uh, and as they're like, Peter, get over here uh, <laughs> because you should be helping us. The V-252 begins to spike in activity. It starts sort of like clawing at the glass 
the new glass canister and <laughs> which I only real I only noticed that right now as I'm thinking about it but uh starts sort of like clawing or grabbing at the new glass canister and the the trio is like whoa that's really exciting it's never done that before and so peter is like oh thank god they're distracted and like i said last week if multiple people are looking at a computer screen you can do whatever <laughs> you want because peter's like okay bye i'm going to go now and they don't even don't even look don't even yeah. notice he's leaving um and then the v252 calms down when he leaves and they think nothing of it because they were all looking at a computer screen. <laughs> yep. So they don't even notice that when he gets close to it, it spikes up. And when he leaves, it doesn't. Granted, there is no reason for them to connect those dots. Sure. But uh, they are geniuses. <laughs> yeah. It is still funny, too, the idea. Because, you know, he shows up. They're all there together. And they're like, oh, yeah, you should be helping us. But it's like they apparently never thought to call him or text him to tell him to join them. So I guess they were just like let's just do this on our own and let Peter do his own thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And they're like, they're very minimally bothered by him leaving, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. uh, yep. 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 I mean, I do get the sense that, and you know, Anya based on what we've seen should be pushing more, but I do get the sense that they're just sort of like, uh, it's Peter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, he's almost like dead weight in their group at this point, which is yeah. kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so in uh in peter's personal lab he calls harry for help because he knows that you know this actual uh horizon high friends are, are busy with the uh v252 stuff um so and peter wants help with his uh his sand project so he calls harry for help harry answers while he's testing a, a glider <laughs> oh a, a what <laughs> a straight up goblin it's just what? a straight up goblin glider it's not <laughs> not even like a prototype it's like just the, that wing shape and everything there's even in the background there's a uh there's like the snowboard glider from spider-man 3 like is on a wall in the background too oh no i didn't even notice that that's so yeah, funny it's so funny but yeah so <laughs> harry's just like full-on you know goblin testing stuff right now and uh, yeah, but anyway, anyway, uh, the two kind of both reference the Stark Expo, but they're both like, uh, you know, we don't want to we don't want to reveal our respective projects to each other because they're supposed to be secrets. Right. So uh, we're not going to we're not going to fully reveal. And Peter's like, actually, I'm not even calling about that. I'm calling about something else. That's when we cut to later that night in an alley elsewhere where the girl Sandman was chasing gets into a limo with Hammerhead. Whoa. While a physically unstable Sandman is watching nearby with very, very cool, like, static effects to make his mm -hmm. sand, I might add. I really dig it. Yeah. Hammerhead sighting. Yup. Any thoughts on this hammerhead? He's fine. I mean. He's fine. Yeah. It's a pretty normal. Voice incredibly. Just yeah. design-wise, he's fine. <laughs> yeah. Voice, in voice incredibly design-wise is perfectly acceptable. Um, I do like the idea this episode pretty deeply ties Sandman and Hammerhead together, and both of those are characters that John DiMaggio voiced in Spectacular Spider-Man. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> I like that, too. <laughs> so after this little brief scene of that girl, who we now know to pay attention to, <laughs> yeah. uh, we cut back to Horizon High. And Peter is sort of like excitedly celebrating to himself, I guess that Harry's advice is working and that he's close to achieving cohesion of the sand particles. He's convinced that once he can get some sort of cohesion with them, he'll be able to understand a bit more what was going on with the dude at Coney Island. So he's just trying to understand it better. I also initially thought this was like the next day, but I don't actually think it is. I think that they might be 
a little confusing sometimes with their like window backgrounds because there have been a couple times where I've been trying to figure out the timeline of things and I I'm going to I'm moving forward I'm going to not pay attention to the windows cuz I think sometimes they betray their timelines. Um The t- yeah, that the timeline for the whole show does make sense because this in this in this scene alone Peter references how it's the middle of the summer which makes no goddamn sense. When is your school year? You're in the middle well, of the summer? Unless unless it's unless everything we've seen has taken place in August, but even then he would have Oh already done some time at Midtown, right? Did we ever see him at Yeah, we saw him as a yeah. student at Midtown. So, I don't know, unless unless that um Horizon presentation was like in the first week of school. Yeah. Uh, Which is possible, I guess. I guess. I mean, I'm trying to think. Peter already had like homework. I, I don't know if we but have you enough also to really ca- you wouldn't call to. You wouldn't call like August 25th the middle no, of you're, summer. That's either. right. Yeah. It's like I mean, it's like high, high, hot. Well, no, I guess even that would be like July. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. That that it's is weird. a little weird. I I can't imagine that a whole school year has passed. But maybe we'll learn something to the contrary. But yeah, I don't. I I I will be interested to see how specific they ever get with time because I feel like it is wonky on a small scale. And I noticed that too. That it it feel. I was surprised by August, but I uh, I sort of just wrote it off as like summer in august or whatever but yeah no that wouldn't be the middle anyway time is weird i initially thought this was the next morning i don't think it is anymore um it just happens to be i guess hours later or whatever so miles interrupts peter's sort of celebration over figuring out the cohesion of the sand particles Mm -hmm. and basically says like hey peter you've been in here and we've been working on the v252 it's time for you to work on this and so he leaves the v252 in peter's lab and leaves peter is like okay cool yeah i'll get i'll i'll get to it and stays in his lab and continues working on the sand stuff and takes a call from aunt may who's like peter can you come home like i haven't seen you it's been been a while so he's like okay sure i'll come home i'll bring my work with me and uh while he's having this conversation we get some weird v252 stuff Mm -hmm. so he's talking on the phone the canister is on the shelf behind him and then we see the V... Ugh. God, I hate the name of this shit. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Gotta get over it. It's just so hard to say. It's, it really is. So we see him on the phone. In the background, we see the V-252 on the shelf. And the V-252 is obviously sort of like active because we saw that when it's near Peter, it sort of spikes in activity. But this time, it actually like unscrews the canister on its own, seeps out... And while Peter's talking on the phone, it creeps up to him. It menacingly hovers behind him. And ultimately, it attaches itself to his jacket, which Aunt May specifically asked him to wear, despite it being the middle of summer. So I like that little detail (laughs) that they use that little, like, make sure you have a jacket to sort of explain why he might have an extra layer where he wouldn't notice something sticking to him. Yeah. Very, very small little thing, but I really like it. We also get a brief glimpse of, like, the symbiote with a face, which obviously looks very much like a Venom face, giving us mm-hmm. a preview of what Venom might end up looking like in this show. Um, and uh, just overall cool, cool symbiote yeah. effects on this. They definitely cool. sort of use that that sort of, like, jumpy, tendrily vibe that Spider-Man 3 and the recent Venom movie use quite a bit of. Yeah. Um, and I like that effect a lot, so I'm glad I that do they- too. They did that as well. 
Yeah, it's really well animated, really cool. I dig it a lot. That whole oh, sequence yeah. is really good. Yeah, so back at home, Peter did get to get his del- get his uh, groceries for Aunt May, unlike many other uh, versions of Spider-Man. So yeah, he shows up with groceries for Aunt May for dinner, heads up to his room to continue analyzing the sand particles. He has like a little... Have we seen... Is this the first time we've seen his mini lab under his bed, or did we see that before? I don't remember. Yeah, it is the first time we've seen this mini lab, and I don't fully understand why it exists, because he has... He has a full desk with a computer, like a full computer setup with plenty of space on it. And Aunt May knows that he goes to a school for geniuses. So, like, why does he have a secret computer unless he just needs more space and another desk and has another computer? Like, I, think I, it's I was that, a little confused by that. But maybe he is still trying to separate his Spider-Man projects, his secret Spider-Man projects with Horizon projects, like, just in case, you know? Like, maybe... When but it, the when computer home, was attached to the underside of his bed. It's not like he pulled out a computer to put on his bed. Like he was working with the equipment at horizon high, brought his stuff with him. And then started working on a completely different computer. It is a little weird. (laughs) Like I, I I get it. It's cool, but I don't understand why it exists. (laughs) Yeah. It It literally either like an unnecessary secret or an unnecessary extra set of equipment. Yeah, I guess I think it, I think that's one of those things where it's just like, wouldn't it be cool if the science genius has a secret lab under his bed? That's cool, and then like that's it. Like I don't, yeah, or I don't think just, it makes any sense. Or just give him a tiny bedroom, and that just is where his desk is. That would be cool, all like yeah. all on its own. That's true. Yeah, yeah, because I do like I love the idea in a vacuum. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's just very weird. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but. Yeah, so he's analyzing his sand, those sand particles on his uh, on his uh, inexplicable underbed desk, and uh, he's kind of waiting because I guess it needs to. Oh wait, also, it. oh yeah, he didn't bring the V two fifty two substance comes with him, but despite Miles specifically saying you need to work on this now, he doesn't bring it home with him. Good he call. He only brings the sand sample back with him. Peter is the worst group project team member ever. Sorry, oh I just thought of that. I don't know why I just thought of that. I didn't now. think about that, though. Because That's I was like, oh, point. yeah, he brings both things with him. But he doesn't bring both things with him, or else he would have noticed that the V-252 was missing. Whoa. Peter, <laughs> you suck, dude. No wonder yeah. you're, No wonder Anya hates you so much. Like, <laughs> come on. What? Yeah. Wow. Wow, He wow, didn't even wow. try. He didn't Not even, even try. Not even a little. Wow. All right. Well, okay. Dick. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. So he's, he's at home doing his own personal project and not helping his group at all. You asshole. Um, (laughs) Waiting for his computer to analyze the sand stuff or whatever. He could literally be working on the V252 while, I mean, I know that like he couldn't because it's attached to his jacket, but he, he would, he would know how long it takes the stuff to analyze. Right. He's literally just sitting at his desk, just like you know, lounging, waiting for the stuff With to analyze. He an could have planned to work on the V252 while he's lounging. Oh my god! He has two computers in his room. <laughs> oh my god, Peter. Ugh. Ugh. Yep. Okay, yeah. So he's just waiting, doing nothing while his computer analyzes the sand particles. Like I've said a million times already. Now we finally, um, we finally got to the point where we're like, Peter kind of sucks, uh, at least uh, in this moment. It took us a really long time considering. Yeah, this is yeah, it took 6 episodes to get there. I think that's an accomplishment for every Spider-Man <laughs> show. That that's the first shitty thing that Peter's ever done. Right. <laughs> Generally, of course, Peter is not not a shitty guy in this series. This yeah, is just yeah. a shitty moment. <laughs> a little preoccupied, Pete. Yeah, yeah. Um, whew. anyway, so Aunt May calls him for dinner. 
Um, and meanwhile, Sandman, who is still unstable, arrives at the Parker residence, theoretically, like, attracted by the sand particles that Peter has, right? Mm-hmm. So the sand sample actually, like, kind of attempts to rejoin it. Like, it it does the kind of thing that, like, the uh, like the screw and the iron gi- at the end of the Iron Giant does, where it's, like, trying to roll out of the bedroom to rejoin with the thing that it's part of. So Peter, like, kind of recognizes this. And then uh, doesn't really have to do much. Doesn't have to figure out what's going on because the Sandman, like force of nature, Sandman actually literally shows up at at his house and like breaks through his window. So Peter suits up as Spider Man um, as Sandman is approaching Aunt May. So yeah, so Spider Man and Sandman like fight as much as you can call Spider Man and and a big pile of sand like fighting a fight. He it's- does manage to seemingly <laughs> drop kick it, which I'm not sure should make sense, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's you know He's unstable. Maybe he was sort of solid in that moment. Yeah. He's he's more or less getting getting the shit kicked out of him by this pile of sand yeah. that's just pummeling him essentially. It pummels him like to Peter's room, like through the through the ceiling. So Peter like or Spider Man tries to I guess pretend to be Peter by like being like, I'm fine, Aunt May, go next door, call the police, I'll escape out of the window. And then Spider Man himself like tries to lead Sandman away from the house, um, and into a nearby park. Um, I do like the bit where there's like his next door neighbor is like taking the trash out and Spider-Man's just like, uh, ignore what you're about to see as he swings away. And then just this giant pile of bouncing, talking sand just like <laughs> jumps by him. And the guy's just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I probably would. I'd be like, I want nothing to do with that. I <laughs> yeah. saw nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they end up in like a nearby park where like there's nobody around. So Spider-Man feels like it's a little bit safer to figure, try to figure out what's going on rather than just like drop kick a giant pile of sand. Um, so he actually returns the sand sample to Sandman, hoping that maybe this will help him reform. Sandman is able to return to human form, this time uh, appearing fully human, not just human shaped. So I think like what when when Spidey was analyzing the sand sample, he was actually like stabilizing it or whatever, right? Is that what what the implication was? That and makes then, a lot of sense, yeah. And so that yeah. would allow that would allow the full Sandman to sort of be stable as well. Yeah, that yes. makes sense. So just by like re 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 introducing the stabilized part of Sandman to the full Sandman, the full Sandman body is able to reform. Sure. We'll just say it makes sense. Why not? He's he's living sand. Who cares? So yeah. So he's back to like a human shape form, even like has clothes and stuff on. Like he looks like the typical Flint Marco Sandman that we're used to. And in fact, he even introduces himself as Flint Marco. And like, he's friendly and everything. Like he's like, Oh cool. Thanks for helping me become human again. Um, they do realize that he's not fully reverted because he they attempt to shake hands and his hand still kind of turns to sand. So like he's still this weird half human, half sand hybrid, but he's at least better off than what he was before. Yeah, and Spider Man sort of reassures him, like you'll you'll get the hang of it. It'll just take some practice. So that also, yeah, that kind of reaffirms as well what you were saying that like Spider Man wasn't just trying to understand it. He was he was also pretty knowledgeable. It seems like about what would happen if he reintroduced that stabilized sample. So that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So Spider-Man is obviously like, dude, how did you, like, what happened? How did you end up like this? Because Sandman is not posing any threat to him in the moment. They're just kind of like sitting in the park. So Sandman's like, okay, yeah, let me fill you in. So this is where we get sort of this Sandman's origin story. And he says, 
basically the girl at Coney Island that he was chasing is his daughter, Kimia. And he wasn't actually attacking her or trying to harm her. He was trying to protect her from the folks that turned Flint Marco into Sandman. He says that Hammerhead was the only person who would employ Flint Marco. Basically, nobody would hire him. And he messed up too many of Hammerhead's jobs. And Hammerhead even, like, references something to do with, like, Sandman allowing his financial ledger to get into the wrong hands or whatever. So you get, like, a tiny bit of the nature of it. But ultimately, Mm -hmm. Hammerhead... Ultimately, Sandman fucks up too many jobs for Hammerhead, so Hammerhead tries to kill him. But, you know, gangster shit. So the way that he tries to kill him is by, like, burying him in a bunch of sand and toxic waste. As you would expect, does not kill Flint Marco. It just turns him into Sandman. So that's kind of like this version's here's how you became Sandman. Not totally unfamiliar, but not exactly the same as other stories you've seen. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's, like, a lot of the same basic stuff, but I think they tweak a lot of stuff. Like... We've seen, like, nicer Sandmans before, but this is definitely, like, the nicest Sandman I think we've ever seen because he's not, like, criminal for criminal's sake. Like, at least his excuse is that he just can't get a job and had to kind of turn to a life of crime for Mm -hmm. Hammerhead to working for, like, a mob boss or whatever. But it isn't implied that he's, like, he's not killing people, it seems like. Like, he's just probably just doing basic, like, money laundering jobs and helping move move product, move stolen product and stuff. At least that's like, I think the vibe that you get from it, that he's just sort of like accidentally got wrapped up into the crime world. Right. Like, yeah, even, you know, even, even, even less attached to it than like the Thomas Hayden church Sandman was like a very sympathetic version. I also think his origin is like way darker than most of them because it's not like most of the time he's just, you know, either is involved in a science experiment that he consented to or accidentally walked into a science experiment. And the fact that this was just like a botched mob murder (laughs) is like, damn, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's really dark. And there's like, there's a couple important bits and pieces in the flashback that we see because he tells this all over a flashback showing us what happened. Kimia's is there. Like Kimia is in the mm-hmm. car waiting for him while this is all going down. He explicitly says like, just wait here in the car. And so it makes sense that Flint Marco knowing that Hammerhead was trying to kill him is leaving behind a daughter that either Hammerhead would then try to hassle for the debt or just in danger as being connected to Flint Marco. So it like makes sense that he yeah. is like, I got to protect Kimia from the guy who just tried to kill me to whom I owe a debt. So like, yeah, you kind of see all the pieces there. Um, especially when you realize Kimia is like literally just outside. Like it's yeah. fucked up. It is. Well, that's the thing that I think, I think this, one of the things this episode does really well, or at least this flashback specifically is like Kimia being there is like a big red flag. Cause it's like, you brought your daughter to your mob boss stuff. Like what? <laughs> uh, but, yeah. but, but in this particular scene, he's like, presenting himself and being presented by the show is just like, oh, he's just a nice guy who's just a dad who just got caught up in stuff that was out of his control. Isn't that so sad that, like, I don't think you really think about, like, how much of a red flag, like, him having his, bringing his daughter to his crime job actually is. Yeah. To the point that I think when it's brought up later on, it's sort of like, oh, my God, yeah. Like, it's Mm -hmm. really, I think it's really, it's really, it's really nicely played out. Yeah, I agree. So hearing all this, Spider-Man offers to help Marco rescue Kimia from Hammerhead. 
because Flint Marco's like, well, now that I'm stable, I got to go get Kimia. And Spider-Man's like, not alone, you won't. <laughs> so they proceed to what is supposed to be Hammerhead's mob boss stronghold, which is how they describe it, a mob boss stronghold. I would like to point out that this mob boss stronghold looks just like any McMansion you would find <laughs> in the wealthy part of your nearest suburb, but with like a full security detail, yep. which I am not criticizing. I think it is hilarious and an amazing detail for the mob boss stronghold to just literally be a suburban castle <laughs> that really any funny. of us could go find. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. There's commentary yeah. there. Don't even know fully what it is, but it's there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, logistically, I wouldn't think to look if I if somebody was like, find me a mob boss stronghold. That wouldn't be what I'd first point to, I think. Like, but maybe you know? we should. Maybe that's what the show's telling us. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Maybe that's actually more realistic. <laughs> Go to your nearest wealthy neighborhood, point at a house, and maybe it's a mobster. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's just funny because when I saw the house, I was like, that literally looks like the houses in the rich part of the already rich city that I lived in a couple years ago. Like... It yeah. just like they it just looks like every other house in like a very, very wealthy place. Yeah. So funny. So like it even just has like a normal yard but with a gate. Like it, just, it has like a normal front door. <laughs> it could be also like um I don't remember the look of the house in it to see if it was like a direct intentional reference. It could be like a Sopranos reference, because like Tony Soprano's oh, could be. house is very much just like uh, like a suburban mansion like that and with a gate and a driveway and everything the thing is it wasn't a mob boss stronghold they still had like a separate place that they went that was just like the house that he and his family lived in yeah. but it would be it would be a funny reference to that where it's just like oh no it's the tony soprano house it's just that's also where they do that would all be their even better to be totally honest <laughs> that would be even better <laughs> it's just so funny because like i don't know the exact timing of it but i i hope that the timing of it is such that he says mob box stronghold before they reveal the house. Cause it's just, it's so funny. Yeah. It, it, I'll tell, I'll say this. It is not an empty generic warehouse full of wooden crates. Yeah. No, so, I think it's, bravo. it's really cool because then that makes the, I think the, um, the fight sequences that happen in the end of the episode are a little more dynamic because there's a lot of stuff in the house because it mm -hmm. is just a typical mansion. There's a lot yep. more stuff to throw and crash into and everything. Whereas if you're in a typical warehouse, like even like they are even in the flashbacks, what you're going to crash into some empty crates like you always do. Okay. Yep. Like it makes yep. it a lot more interesting. It's fun. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I love it. Genuinely unironically love that it is just a McMansion. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so Spider-Man and Sandman actually pretty easily just like walk up to the the door, which okay, fine. But they they just like walk up to the front door and there's like this funny little funny little moment where Spider-Man is like, "Oh no, it's locked. Here's the plan. I'll do this, that, and the other thing." And while he's like laying out his plan, Sandman just sort of like sandifies, goes under the door and unlocks the door. I chuckled. Yeah, it's a classic like it joke. Too. I'm into it. <laughs> I, I I always I like I like the I, I always like when they sort of uh, any show sort of plays up like how actually like powerful Sandman's powers really are. Like, yeah, he's really one of the most powerful villains. Honestly, he just like is is never smart enough to really like use them super well. Yeah, and yeah, the fact that like this version that's like pretty much a good guy who could be a superhero if he wanted to, he, it's just like oh yeah, I'll just do this really cool thing very easily. Um, and it's like, dude, you could be so much more if you like 
put your mind to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Which actually we kind of see in this episode, honestly. So totally. And it actually provides a moment where the show, I don't know if this was necessarily part of the joke, but I, I, I felt it as part of the joke, sort of like gives the show an opportunity to poke fun at its own main character overthinking things, which typically is his solution, is like yeah. coming up with a complex solution. Uh, so I, I like it. It, it sort of like uh, <laughs> allows them to cut that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. What kind of mathematical equation can I come up with? Oh, sand go through hole? Okay, never yep. mind. <laughs> exactly. I love it. I love it. It's a good dynamic. The two of them are a good pair. <laughs> yeah. Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole, Katie, Greg, Mike, Flux, and Eric. If you would like to join our Patreon, we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you. We have our Spider Bites, where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe, such as comics, like the current Miles Morales series, and classics like Kraven's Last Hunt. Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our miniseries on the unmade Spider-Man movies. Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like Peaks Behind the Curtain or how we make certain episodes. And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries, where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more. Ultimately, these are the types of things that we're going to talk about anyway, so recording it and making it available on Patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate that too. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. So ultimately, when they get inside, they proceed to like the living room area, where they find Kimia sitting on a sofa, just in the room by herself. Oof. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, she's, she's shocked to see him. And I think that we're probably kind of shocked to just see her just hanging out right there. And he approaches her for a hug. And then she like sucker punches him with sand superpowers. Yeah. Gag. <laughs> what the fuck? Face crack. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I was so, like, pleasant. I was, like, wow, I'm, like, so... I was already kind of in on this episode when they were sort of, like, Sandman's kind of a good guy. And I'm, like, I have no idea where this is going to go then. I guess it's just going to be, like, they Spider-Man helps him rescue his daughter, and it's all nice, and it's just a nice version of Sandman, I guess. Fully thought that's where it was going. Yeah, I was just, like, oh, my God, this fucking rules, actually. What is happening? Because I, I just, yeah, this episode goes to those cool places. I genuinely did not expect that at all. Nope. And I love the way that they reveal it. Yep. I was totally caught off guard. Yep. We're punched in the face just like she punches her dad in the face. And they don't really waste time with it. Like, it is, it is a, it's a well-built-up twist that they don't draw out once it is time to reveal the twist. Because they could have they made this, like, reunion agonizing mm-hmm. in, like, not a good dramatic way. But they don't. I mean, they they give you the one beat of him being relieved, the one beat where you get to be like, oh, okay, they're being reunited, and then immediately get into the, you know, the good stuff. Yeah, and then she's just the villain of the episode for the rest of the episode, and it works really well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. I, I, like unabashedly. Exactly like that. Yeah, no, she, I mean, she fully, fully begins to attack Flint Marco and without even really explaining right off the bat. Like she is just attacking him. So obviously Spider-Man is like, whoa, wait, hold on a second. This is the guy I'm working with to rescue you. If you're attacking him, that's not good. So he also tries to like defend Flint Marco and clashes with Kimia, but it doesn't really go well because Kimia is like a badass and like oh my God, has dude. way more control over her powers than Flint Marco does. So she like immediately, or pretty immediately, I should say, traps Spider-Man in this like cool sandstone formation. It looks kind of like uh, like an underwater mine or like a break wall thing. Yeah. Like I don't really know what to call it, but it's just like this cool, almost like sandstone explosion shape. Yeah. And he's just like stuck on the wall. Like he yeah. cannot move. He is totally, totally restrained. Flint Marco is totally shocked and is like, what is going on? Kimia, why are you doing this? What happened to you? And so just like Flint Marco did to Spider-Man, she fills in Flint Marco and Spider-Man on her backstory, complete with flashbacks. Yes, yes. I just One of the coolest things that she does with her cool sand powers is like create like a separate sand form duplicate of herself that is like also hitting spider-man while she's like talking to sandman at one point it's like even cooler than i mean it's like it's it's that and then some because like he punches her and his fist goes through her and so you're like oh okay she got him but then she solidifies that so that he's trapped and then she slides herself up to be a second kimia and then she operates on her own while Spider-Man is still trapped in this like statue. And then when the fight resumes, she and the then the former statue like move together. Like it's just it's, so it's cool. really well done. This episode yeah. unsurprisingly as it should it should be. It should never be surprising because every Sandman episode should be like this. They aren't all, but they should be like this. Really cool animation, really cool ideas really cool action sequences. I when we talked about the episode I referenced earlier that Kimia was definitely in 100% in spectacular <laughs> Spider-Man without any doubt at me. That had really cool action sequences as it should. This one delivers too. And I wasn't I honestly wasn't expecting it because Sandman is not the one delivering them. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well I guess this just isn't going to be one of those episodes. Nope, fuck that. Kimia comes in like full-blown awesome action like knows what she's doing incredible and it's and not even like the extent of the cool animation shit they do yep. we'll get to it <laughs> yeah oh it's so good it's so good though and it's like I, a lot of it is like relegated to either like the background or like while dramatic stuff is happening so it's like you sometimes you don't even notice how good it is until you're like yep. looking for it uh, yeah this episode is really cool <laughs> it's really cool i actually honestly this scene in the house where they're fighting would be an absolutely stunning live action sequence. Mm-hmm. It would be incredible. Um, and I'm very confident they'd be able to pull it off in a way that would look much better than Sandman from the movies, given the decade plus time they've had yeah. to work on this shit. Yeah. So. And that's not to say that the Sandman in the movie looked bad. It's no. just like that it could look even like it looked no, good. It would, look, it would look seamless and it would yeah. look incredibly realistic. Yeah. So yeah, I think they could do incredible things. Uh, incredible things with this and and they do here so i don't even know why i need more of it but i that's how good it is is that i want more of it so yeah anywho so kimia's flashbacks and kimia's explanations just build on what flint marco was telling us but it adds perspective and it adds new lens so 
Kimia basically explains that she's pissed and has been pissed that Flint Marco kept involving her through his own involvement in Hammerhead's crime, right? She was already mad at him for being involved in the first place and then was further angry that she kept getting dragged into it even peripherally. So, tired of all this, the night that Marco was turned into Sandman was the night that she decided she didn't feel like waiting anymore. So she got out of the car that we saw her left in, in Flint's version of the story, or from Flint's perspective, and decided to go into the building where he was talking with Hammerhead. And while she was watching the interaction from a nearby corridor, she ended up also getting hit by the mixture of sand and toxic waste. So the exact same thing that turned Flint Marco into Sand Man turns Kimia Alvarado into Sand Girl. Difference being, Hammerhead assumes Flint Marco is dead and ends up finding Kimia's body and then assumes, probably because she wakes up, that she's not dead. So he ends up sort of like taking pity on her, taking her under his wing, and she says with his money and her knowledge, she mentions earlier, we didn't mention this, that she like, she was like a very promising science student um, and that she was like a really hardworking student because every teenager in the show is a genius. Um, <laughs> yeah. But between Hammerhead's money and her knowledge, they managed to stabilize her a while ago. And that's how she's been able to control her powers in a way that Flip Marco has not. So really devastating, I think. It is. <laughs> it is really devastating. And it's like, I, I mean, but I, you know, it's like, I, I love what they do with it because she's such like a, she's such, she's, she plays herself as such like a big bombastic villain in this is just like screaming and angry and, and full of rage. And you hear a backstory and it's just sort of like, fuck man, like I sympathize with you too though. Like mm-hmm. that's a terrible situation you're put in and your dad does kind of suck. Like mm-hmm. I get it. I love it. I love it too. Cause like some of the dialogue in her flashback is kind of hokey. Like there's like my fate was sealed in sand. And it's like, I don't know if that works as well as you think it does, but I think it works because like it's played out as almost sort of like um like a like the big reveal in like a mystery novel or like film noir where yeah. you're like just like unveiling like the solution to the mystery in a very dramatic way so like and it is you know and it is like really kind of bombastic and tragic and everything and, and dramatic in that way so like it ends up like still working really well and like i said like you feel for this like teen girl who was yeah. just trying real hard and her dad just fucking sucks got her thrown <laughs> into a shitty situation almost got her killed and even though it didn't get her killed like it kind of ruined her life so like yeah well that's part of what she's so angry about is that she feels like now she can't pursue what she was pursuing before because now she sees herself as this sort of monster this like sand monster and on top of that she she now works for hammerhead which she was pissed i mean she she's grateful to hammerhead because she sees him as saving her from the shitty situation but Mm -hmm. i think that's really contingent on the fact that she hated her previous guardian you know what i mean like yes there's still obviously going to be resentment for hammerhead because she had resentment for hammerhead to begin with because he's the one that flint marco worked for so yeah really just like a fucked up situation also Mm -hmm. i know like you said some of the the dialogue is a little like hokey but i think i'm wondering if maybe they were taking advantage of the fact that they were using a storytelling device they don't they haven't really used to this point in the very very detailed flashbacks like we've gotten flashbacks before but they've been like peter's flashbacks and they've usually been like pretty brief Mm -hmm. these feel more like kind of what you were saying like a noir type situation or mystery flashback so it's already a bit a bit more like theatrical and so i i wonder if maybe that's why even though it feels hokey, it kind of works a little bit better. Yeah. 
I'm fine with it. Like, I'm fine with it. Like, I could, I can see someone making the argument that it's just like, that's bad dialogue. And I'm like, I think that's intentionally played out like that. Because they even have, literally have Hammerhead, who's like this, like, 30s noir villain who's a Spider-Man villain yeah. for some reason. Like, so they're just, you know, <laughs> I think it works It works to kind of play that up a little bit. Um, and I think it's delivered well um, by the actress, too, because she's just like, she's so angry yeah. the entire time. And understandably, but like, never lets it up. And I think it's done in a way that like isn't really hammy or anything. It really is just like, like yeah, you're mad, but I I get it. I would be I I would be too. I think you have a right to be. I think um, Sophia Carson kills it. I yeah. honestly, when I was trying to guess yeah. who she was, I would not have guessed somebody who was known for live action Disney Channel stuff. I would yeah. have guessed a veteran voice actor. Because it's a tough role. Because you're playing a kid, but you're also playing a kid who has just like got been granted a not granted who has been dealt with dealt a massive amount of baggage in a very short amount of time and like like just an incredible trauma that you're now like confronting and just like unloading in one moment that just it's while also giving a bunch of exposition like that's that hard. includes like, really action hard. sequences yeah like she's yeah on top of all of that emotional stuff that that she's delivering she's doing action sequences so like i fully was like this has to be a veteran voice actress it has yeah. to be yep nope kill yeah you're right she totally kills it <laughs> the other thing that i like too because this is the thing that could have been handled so badly and would have been in other shows like they also kind of like the the sort of icing on the cake is that like she shows off what i guess is like a permanent deformity maybe of her sand powers cuz like she's yeah. basically the part of her her face that's covered up by her hair like she she shows it and it's just like she's missing an eye and it's just fully sand and maybe like she's just not able to fully reform or something like that now but what i like about it is that like that's just a punctuation for everything that has happened i think it would be really easy for them to be like look what you did to me and put all the focus on her like losing her beauty or whatever and they don't do that it's just like you're already feeling sorry for her for all the terrible shit she's been through that she's blaming her dad through that's just like the that's just the period on it all like oh yeah i don't even i even like look like this now like you fucked me up in every way possible thanks dad see i found that to be a little bit more confusing like i don't really know why that detail is included i don't think it i don't think it adds that much it's not um, no, I don't think it adds much either. I I'm just I'm happy that they didn't make that like I'm actually happy that they didn't make that a centerpiece. Yeah, no, I, I think, think it, that would have damaged it. Could have been it. way worse, but I feel like its inclusion at all is also like not super great. Like you could have just gotten rid of it. She's a cool looking character no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Um, she doesn't need to have like a physical deformity to go along with it, <laughs> especially because like it, there are things that you could have incorporated in it to explain the physical deformity in context of what was going on because, you know, they they do explain her as, like, a science genius, but you could argue, like, okay, well, Peter is more traditionally educated at this point and has better resources than she, who is whose guardian is, like, scraping by, probably has. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there's a socioeconomic element there she's so, never like, going to could... be able to go to horizon high or osborne academy or anything right, no matter how right. smart she is right it could have been tied in in a more seamless way to be representative of the fact that she was never going to be able to do what peter did for flint marco based on circumstances but i don't think they dig into it in that way so it just kind of ends up being like 
a villain physical deformity. And so from that, even though they don't go nearly as bad as they could have, yeah. I still feel like it's a weird inclusion. Yeah, but, I think it ends up being – I think they're probably I, – I do agree with you. I think they could have just cut it out because her story is so effective that it doesn't matter anyway. Right. Her I story do, was already so compelling. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I think that maybe they were trying to make it um, – because I think the other line that she has that I jotted down that I thought was interesting is is uh, saying that Hammerhead uh, uh, made me the best version of what's left of me, and I, which is a – Compelling line on its own doesn't need a visual representation, but maybe they're like trying to include that. I feel it would be more compelling that. without a physical deformity. <laughs> yeah, because then, think, yeah, because I then think it has more to do with how she views herself and how she feels. That's true. Than just like I look ugly now. <laughs> Which, but I still don't. Yeah, I I do agree. I don't think I think it's it's so not it's so just like its own little punctuation rather than being like a centerpiece that like that moment passes and then I kind of forget about it. It like, it doesn't matter. So like it doesn't, it doesn't affect, it doesn't really negatively affect it for me. But, but I do think that, yeah, it was totally unnecessary and I think has some problematic implications that aren't needed. Yeah. And I, I do think, think so. it without me it, a little more than it sounds like it bothers you, which is okay. <laughs> yeah. I just, I do I'm th- always hesitant when there's like a villain that has, just like scarring for reasons that aren't very well explained. Yeah, especially because it's like, why is that the only part that you can't reform? I don't get it. Like, okay. Yeah. But uh, I and I do think I I also think to your point, I think it would it would even strengthen um, some of the arguments that Spider Man is trying to make to her that it's just like, no, you this doesn't have to be what your life is. You can still like do you can still do amazing things. If she literally, like, doesn't look any different than she did before, and the only difference is that she has these, let's be real, really fucking rad sand powers, then, (laughs) yeah, like, then it's sort of like he's appealing to, like, whatever changes happen to you on the inside or circumstance-wise doesn't mean that you can't still, like, do the things that you dreamed of beforehand. And then, you know, so then the onus is kind of put on her to sort of, like... Be like, well, actually, yeah, I can, I can have control over my life and and the circumstances that are, that that have been given to me, and I think that that's more powerful if they don't put like a physical representation of right. her change on her because it is all internal and in the choices that she needs to make. Because I think what they're, I think, I think what it's supposed to be is that she can't have traditional opportunities now because everyone will know that she is a sand quote sand monster right Mm -hmm. but i do think that what they end up doing is just simply reinforcing the idea that she can't have these opportunities because she looks different and there's like this physical thing that everybody can see and i know it looks like sand and and again like she's so compelling anyway but uh i don't know you didn't need it Spider-Man you didn't, 2017 you could literally pull it out of it and it wouldn't and nothing would change like edit right, that one right. moment out and it's not like a craven thing where like if you gave craven a bunch of scars you can point to exactly where they would come from you know what i mean yeah um or or any other villain where you could sort of like i don't know it, it i don't know that it serves the already incredible character you just put together <laughs> and it's never good when it's like of course like a woman villain is the one that has like a big scar mm, on that's on a good face. point yeah yeah, I mean, you've kind of. T- I I feel worse about it now that I did going into it because it is a lot more problematic, I think, than I was thinking that it was when I first watched it. Which well, I think and is- I think part of it is because I think it's easy to understand what they were doing, and so it's yeah. like, well, no, I see what you're doing, and 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 I I understand why you're doing it, and from like a storytelling standpoint, like I don't think you're failing at the things you're doing. I just think you're accidentally bringing along a bunch of stuff that you probably didn't want to bring along with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I think that's more what it is. And all the stuff around it is so compelling that it's just like, it's so unnecessary. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. <laughs> why? why? <laughs> yeah. Which is a testament to how good this episode is otherwise, is that everything else is so compelling that that stuff, like, you could take it out and it is extremely strong and all works almost better without it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like you said, there are probably ways that they could have made the same point without it being like, this physical manifestation on her face. <laughs> like, ah, uh, okay, cool. <laughs> so, okay. Ultimately, Kimia fucking rad. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now we kind of know her backstory. So not only is she like super rad as a, a sand, the, she is, she is referenced as sand girl once in this. And it's so kind I of awkwardly like, by and, Spider-Man. And it is awkward. So yeah. whatever. But I guess for the purposes of like explaining what I mean, like she's a fucking rad sand girl. Like, She's she's awesome. Like she's her powers cool. And on top of that, now we know her backstory through her flashbacks. So not only is she fucking rad, like we feel for her as well. So yeah, <laughs> totally awesome. Anyway, because she is grateful to Hammerhead, like we mentioned, and because she is resentful towards Marco, still Kimia continues to attack Marco and protect Hammerhead because Flint Marco sees Hammerhead there. He eventually reveals himself like around a corner, and Flint Marco tries to get to him. All the while, Spider-Man can only watch. He can't do anything. He's still stuck in this sandstone block and is, like, trying to escape but, like, cannot move. So after an unsuccessful lunge at Hammerhead, this is where shit gets really devastating because Kimia ends up restraining Marco. Like, she grabs him and she fucking brutally attacks him. Like, she uses sand blades. She's punching him. She's, like, it, it's it's all sand, so it's not as graphic as the implication is but she's basically just like repeatedly chopping off his limbs yeah to the point where she does it so much that i feel like tonally some of the sound cues spider-man's reactions flint marco's reactions like the implication is that she has like permanently damaged flint marco through the violence that she's committing against him like it's really intense and then after all of that she after the and a, and a great moment of tension where you know it's about to happen, she ultimately crushes him in a massive like sandy fist, and then he is just gone, like he is gone from the scene. He's gone from the episode. So here's one wrinkle in that because I think so because if you have the captions on, when because she basically like, crushes she does she crushes him into like a tiny 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 little ball of sand that falls to the ground when that falls to the ground there is a caption that says grunts and if you listen closely it is like sandman's a, a, a light sound of sandman grunting when that ball falls to the ground and that's the last you see to it see to it see and that's him. totally so, fine but like for but like functionally he's just yeah. not like he doesn't he does not regenerate he cannot regenerate he can't affect anything happening around him anymore like i know that they're not going to kill him because they can't but effectively, she kind of kills him. <laughs> I kind of, I almost wonder, like, I, I felt like maybe she did in their, like, original script of it. And that was, like, a censor thing that, like, you got to at least add the grunt to into it. it to imply that he's still alive. Yeah, because, regardless, I think you're supposed to feel it. I feel, I yeah. think that's what it's supposed to feel like she does. Because it does. And if you're not paying close attention you would just assume that she killed him anyway like well, that's what it plays out as is what's left of him like that's i mean yeah. even even if he still is a has consciousness in that tiny ball of sand 
again, the way that Spider-Man reacts to what she's doing to him and the way that they focus on certain half-formed limbs of his flying across the room, like, you are meant to walk away feeling like either he's gone or that little bit is all that's left, you know? Like, yeah, it is, that, is, it, that is hardly living, you know? Yeah, or he's, like, comp- or, like, his entire consciousness is just compressed into that like ball of sand that that crystallized ball of sand that he can't get out of which is like total face fate worse than death situation happening it's fucking wild like yeah. and i i i am not i am i i do not believe that this is the last we're going to see of sandman but in this specific episode and to this point it feels very final even if yeah. there is the little bit left you know yeah because it's still sandman like you know that it doesn't require very much <laughs> we've seen tons of versions of sandman so like if you're going to kill sandman what does that look like knowing you can't actually kill sandman this is probably pretty close to it yeah i agree and i mean like i could see a version of the show where he doesn't ever appear again because they've got sand girl to fill the sandman role forever and the only reason he would need to return is if they wanted to do a redemption arc for her which they could do but i wouldn't i but i think it would also be fine if they never did it because she could also just be another supervillain with a terrible tragic yeah. origin story, you know? In this case, yeah, I would be totally fine with her just staying a villain as I feel frequently with villains because I'm not a huge fan of redemption stories a lot of the time because I think they're done really poorly a lot. <laughs> However, yeah. in this case, because of how they set her up, I actually wouldn't be mad at it if they did it. So either way, yeah. I'm fine. I like her and I'm I'm excited for whatever they decide to do with her. That's kind of a, that's a good a testament to how good this character is that, that they Seriously. sort of basically, I mean, I know that she technically exists in the comics. They basically created this character because this is not what was in the comics. I'd never heard of her and I knew nothing about her. I had zero expectations for this character. I didn't even notice the first yeah. three times she appeared on screen. It's incredible. I, it's really, really good. Yeah. I'm I really yeah I really dig everything that they do with this and this isn't even the end of like the big things that happen in this episode. No, it's almost over. And it could have been, and I still yeah. would have been blown away. Yeah, that would have been like a really tragic ending that she kills her dad basically and then leaves. Like, Especially if she walks off with Hammerhead, right? Mm-hmm. And Spider-Man is just is helpless to do anything about it until he until she's gone and lets that sand block go. You know, like yeah, they it could yeah it could have just it could have ended there and been really tragic, but. You're right. There's still a lot more (laughs) or at least a big more. Yeah. Cause basically, you know, a Spider-Man is horrified by what he maybe even assumes is watching a man die right in front of his eyes, a a daughter killing her father on top of that. So he's, he's, he's kind of freaking out. Uh, It probably gives him enough of an adrenaline rush to be able to break out of his restraints. Kimia is kind of continuing her attacks towards Spider-Man and because she's fucking rad and, and, and just like totally powerful. She overwhelms him uh, pretty honestly, pretty easily with sand fully encases him in another stand, sandstone formation, um, but like completely fully encapsulated this time. Um, yeah. No limbs, no head, nothing. You got out the first time. You're not getting out this time, buddy. It's yep. like a sandstone tomb. Exactly. Exactly. And then that's when we get like, it's like a it's like a couple of visual cues that we. This get, is what right? I was referring to. I was wondering if, <laughs> if this is it. So because I don't us think through this, that. Yeah, I don't think this is as cool. It's def- I, I I I would be shocked for anybody to argue it's as cool as the thing at the beginning because at the beginning of the episode you get sort of like the the black vision you get the maw you get like some some 
things that Peter tells you are happening. So you kind of get a full picture. This one, honestly, it just sort of, the screen turns black. And then you do kind of hear, I think you hear maybe a little bit of the snarling. But then the thing that I thought was not cool at all and like didn't make as much sense as the first thing was they literally show on the black screen like the white spider show up, like the white spider emblem. Mm -hmm. And I understand why they're doing it. It's meant to be like a oh shit moment for the audience. But they just handled the the first sort of like experience so well in that we saw it as an audience, but Peter also experienced it in the universe mm-hmm. that I was like, that's so cool. And so then when they did this, I was like, no one is experiencing this moment in the universe. It's literally just for us, for the spider <laughs> to be on the screen. Sure. That's not as cool. <laughs> Even though sure. everything that happens after it is very cool. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's it's such a it's another thing where it's just it's such a small moment that it like almost doesn't matter. Anyway, it doesn't matter so. that much, but it knowing that I'm also like forever bothered like a splinter in my finger over the like superimposed Spider-Man faces in Spectacular, like it really shouldn't come as a surprise that something like this bothers me. It's like momentary, but I'm like, get it off the screen. It's serving no purpose other than <laughs> for us to just be like, hey, <laughs> it's artistic flair. Yeah, I, sure. I, I honestly feel no way, one way or another. <laughs> Mostly because all the stuff before it and after it is all cool, so, like, whatever. Well, then to put something so supremely uncool, I object to. Fine, fine. <laughs> Keep being cool this episode. <laughs> well, A lot it of people does. probably thought it was fucking cool, let's be real. And it is it is cool when he when he bursts out of the sandstone in his black and white suit. Yes. After oh, that. oh, but there's a moment. Okay, so that happens, right? He bursts okay. out of it, but there is a singular moment. Even after you know what's happening and before you see everything that happens after, bursts open. You know what's happening because you saw the black screen and the white the white um spider. But before he actually jumps out and after it explodes, you see his hand. It's the red and black or the red and white suit. And then in an incredible moment that I really didn't expect the show ever to get into, I called it into question a few weeks ago about whether we were going to get incredible animation moments like this. Mm -hmm. The, the symbiote tendrils crawl up his arm and onto his hand before you actually see the full black suit. It's so cool. It's so fucking anime. It's so awesome. Dude, you know what, though? This whole episode, I think more than the rest of the show, is, like, way... I was feeling that with the Sandman and Sandgirl fight, that, like, this episode feels more anime than the show has ever felt. Like, there's always been soft anime inspiration, like, with the kind of the character designs and the frame rate, but, like... The action in this episode with the sand people is just the most anime that I feel like I've ever seen in a Spider-Man show. Oh. Like, it's good. It's Seriously. good shit. It's, it's, and that singular moment, which is so fast, it just feels like exactly how you would expect, like, a higher budget anime to show, like, a Venom transformation. Like, it is just... It's 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 creepy and gross and and it looks super cool and it's very smooth and it's so brief and I watched it over and over. It's good. It's good. <laughs> just like the venom tendrils in uh, in spectacular when he's like flying through the air. I just I'm obsessed with it. It's so good. Yeah. Yep. It's all good. It's all good. He comes out. He's got his black and white suit on. What do you think? I know we don't see much of it. What do you think of the uh, the black and white suit design? I dig it. I uh, mm-hmm. I think it is very much similar to his traditional suit. It is 
what you expect with with mild twists to it you know what i mean like yeah nothing is overly redesigned but it is intentionally designed for the show so i like that more more importantly than anything else visually i fucking love the voice effect that they do for black suit spider-man how do you feel about that yeah, I think it's yeah, it works for me. I didn't. I, I wasn't bothered really by it at cool. all. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really cool. I don't know why I was so like taken by it, but I was like, ooh, I like this. Do you think they're gonna keep it up, like, or do you think it was like just for him first donning it, or do you think they're gonna keep it up for the whole time he's wearing it? I wonder. I haven't actually watched past this episode, so I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't actually know either. I could see it going one of two ways. I could see them keeping it, and I don't think I would be bothered because the amount of time we actually spend with Peter in the Spider-Man suit isn't that much in this show. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't think it would bother me too, too much. But I could also see if they were really doing some cool symbolic stuff. Uh, they could mm-hmm. have the effect die down the longer he is with the black suit sort of implying an integration between the two or mm-hmm. a uh, a development between the two. And I think that would be cool as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I'm not sure what they're going to do with it. But at, for, for, this, for this sequence, I'm not bothered. And it's not like he's quiet. I mean, this is not like a spectacular situation where, like, it's a while before you hear him say anything. He's mm-hmm. talking from the get-go, and he talks throughout this whole sequence – and maybe, I don't know, maybe it was because it was action, but I wasn't bothered the the whole time the effect cool. was happening. Yeah, I dig it. I dig all of this. And it's I, I think it's a really smart thing that Spectacular did with the black suit, too, where it's like, oh, yeah. in, oh, introduce it in a situation that regular Spider-Man would not have survived. <laughs> and yeah, like, that's what they do here, too. Kimia was yeah. kicking his fucking ass. She effectively also would have killed him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It work. It works, and so it's sort of like, yeah, just like with the Sinister Six situation in Spectacular. It's like this is like the first situation that he would have never survived if he didn't have the black suit. So it's like the perfect oh, time for it to show so up. So good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Spidey now. Spidey does pretty quickly recognize that, like, oh, this feels just like the V two fifty two, which has got to be such a, like. I know other other iterations, like, he doesn't recognize what it is, so it probably just feels like cloth. This one, if it really does feel like black ooze, like, that's got to be weird. But <laughs> Totally. Well, it also – he also literally – like, Aunt May felt this, and he felt this. Isn't it, like, cold? Like, is, yeah. is Spider-Man cold to the touch now? He must like, be. Like, it's – ugh. He's, he's, like, he's like sludge. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it's probably like fucking with his head to make him be like, but it's go, it's okay though. That's not gross. That's oh yeah, great feeling. <laughs> yeah, you you get the black suit Spidey vibe very quickly here. So it is it is yeah. totally reasonable to think that like that effect that we know is is going to happen is instantaneous in this case. Oh yeah, yeah. This isn't this isn't the, the gradual spectacular Spider Man situation. This is like no. instant instant dark Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say I I don't expect this show to do what Spectacular did with the suit. Um, oh yeah. Which no, if you haven't seen it, I'll let you discover that. But but yeah, I I dig this. I dig this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, he's got the black suit now. He's got his increased strength, agility, and attitude. <laughs> so he he kicks their ass, right? Like asses, the asses of everyone, but not really Kimia because she is still a sand person. She's able to uh, she's able to kind of drift away through an open window. So she's out oh. there, but he has got Hammerhead and his goons uh, all all tied up. She's out there, and I'm so glad she is. Yeah. 
I mean, what could he do? It's like, how do you? Nothing. You know? Yeah. Nothing. He doesn't have, he didn't bring the coagulation gun with him. Yeah. I mean, I guess he could build like a super vacuum or something like that, but I don't think he's, uh, he's I mean, in a state of mind to do that. <laughs> they literally do that with Sandman sometimes, don't they? I, I know. So. <laughs> uh-huh. I know. I think that'll have to happen at some point. Yeah, I cannot wait. I mean, this is the last we see of Kimia in this episode. I cannot wait, cannot wait for her to return. Yeah. I'm so excited. Honestly, like, and this sounds ridiculous because this show is already doing so many cool things, but I think because she is new to me, she is right now, even considering Max and everything they've been building up, I think I am most excited for whatever's next with her. And then very, very short, like very shortly behind that is like figuring out what's going on with Max. That's, that is how cool I think Kimia is in this episode. What I like about her, I think, is that even if they just kind of slaughter into a typical Sandman villain role after this, like I would still be okay with that because she's such a knowing her backstory. She's such a fun villain and she's so well portrayed. And if they, as long as they continue doing really cool action with her and don't let up on just like the constant rage that she will always feel like as just a recurring villain. Yeah. Like, like we said, even if she doesn't really get like a redemption arc and is just a person who shows up and kicks Spider-Man's ass every time, that's still really cool. She's a cool character. Yeah. Now here's something that I don't think I necessarily want, but I could see happening and so I would like your thoughts as well. Okay. We It was established in this episode that Kimia was studying science or cared a lot about science. Mm-hmm. Do you think that if they do a redemption story or anything seemingly like a redemption story, that Kimia ends up as a student at either of the two genius schools at oh, some hmm. point in the series? I could see. Well, actually, I could see it going either going going where she joins Osborne Academy as a villain and they like Without actually make it a full on villain academy. Yeah, um, yeah. Or, yeah, she goes to Horizon High and, like, helps out her new spider friends. I could see either way. We'll see. Yeah, I could, we'll see. I could see either way. I have no way. idea what to expect. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's there's not much left of this episode because uh, outside the mansion, Hammerhead and his goons are taken into custody. Spider-Man, like, webs up Hammerhead heads onto all of his goons. <laughs> and Hammerhead's, like, very funny. It's it cute. It took me way too long to understand why they had a bunch of shit on their heads. Like, what is this? And then it clicked and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, early the following morning at the Parker residence, uh, Peter eats breakfast at a very damaged home. Like it sucks. It is in tatters. Um, and Aunt May is like, like, <laughs> I don't think we're insured for sandstorms. And is kind of worried about paying for all the repairs to their house and everything. It's a really, yeah, really shitty situation that they're in. Peter actually beats himself up for bringing the sand sample home and like not keeping his um his like home life separate from his spidey life. And uh you know, he's like I'm going to keep my world separate from now on, which is like could be a lesson, also could be like foreshadowing since he does have the black suit right now. Like I don't know if that's going to if that's going to come into play one way or another, so we'll see. Yeah, I feel like it is less a lesson that he's going to carry forward with him and more of a I think it's more of a foreshadowing thing. I think it's yeah. I think it's the latter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I don't know that this Spider-Man's ever going to succeed at keeping things separate. I think this is the type of show where that will only quickly exacerbate problems. I know it always exacerbates problems, but I don't think he's going to stand a chance separating things. Yeah, yeah. I also like like that their very early morning like looks like 
kind of realistically early, like five o'clock in the morning where it's still like dark outside. Well, see, that um, was another confusing time moment for me. I was like, oh, this is later that night. But then she yeah. says, don't forget to go to school. And he's but, eating a bowl or, of cereal. So I'm like, either yeah. he's just eating a bowl of cereal because he's hungry and not making food. Or she's going next to like I don't I don't know. She could be working. I was we don't know where she works. She could work yeah, nights. No like idea. she could be a nurse or something working nights. That's what I thought at first. But then the cereal eating thing was like, oh, I guess he's having breakfast. I don't know. That's I how mean, I chose to interpret it. Was that yeah. it? Just they went so late into the night that this is probably like four in the morning, and so she's like, don't forget to go to school. Yeah, because you're yeah. probably tired, you dummy. Yeah. I wonder where she works. I'm assuming she's either like a nurse because other there's versions of her that's a nurse or they, she could work at like uh, their version of feast or something like that. I wonder where she thought Peter was while she was at (laughs) the Watsons. Oh my God. They don't even address that. She never questions that on screen. Nope. They never address that. Whoops. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe Flash Thompson also lives around the corner in this one. Sure. <laughs> it's like, oh, I uh, ran off to get help for f- yeah. six hours. Sorry. <laughs> she's like concerned, but surprisingly also not concerned at the same time. Like she's business as usual, even though she's like financially worried. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's true. She also like left her 16 year old son in a house that doesn't have any more that doesn't have any more windows. Like their entire bay window was utterly blown yeah. out. So like. You're not locking the door. Like, what? (laughs) It would be cool, and I don't expect this, but it would be cool if this was one of those, like, sort of temporary status quo changers where, like, Peter is forced to stay at school while Aunt May is forced to stay at the Watsons. Mm -hmm. That would, I mean, that would be a cool little detail for them to throw in if they really wanted to do something sort of, uh, I don't know, with a cool continuity to it, but I'm not expecting it. I'm I'm guessing next time we see their house, it's probably undamaged. Yeah, yeah, but it would be cool if they kept it. We'll see. I'm curious. Surprise us. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, speaking of school, uh, our episode ends at the school, and Peter does make it in time, like Aunt May hoped, uh, and he, but he finds Miles, Anya, and Gwen waiting for him, which we obviously, watching the whole story, are not surprised by, yeah. but they're waiting to let Peter know that the V-252 is missing. This shouldn't be a surprise to him at this point, because he was literally wearing it or assumed he was, but they don't know where it went and he can't really offer an explanation. So they're like, Peter, what happened to it? You were the last person with it. And being the shittiest group partner ever, he's (laughs) like, don't worry about it. It'll turn up. What does that mean, Peter? What does that mean? So Anya appropriately is like, excuse me? Well, if you're so confident that it'll turn up, maybe you should head up the investigation. And not recognizing or not caring that this is her basically being like, all right, asshole. He's like, fine, I'm all over it. And then as he's doing that, we see his T-shirt. He's facing away from them, so only we see this. We see his T-shirt change into the black suit with the uh, the uh, white emblem on it and everything. And then we just sort of fade to black. Real shitty way for you to behave there, Peter. But they kind of they set it up, and this is only an exaggerated version now that he's got the black suit, which we understand. And I'm sure they will explore further as, you know, at least the next episode hits. Right. Right. I just need to point out everybody has different outfits on in this scene. Everybody. Oh, does. dang. Yeah. They all do. <laughs> they all look great. They all look great. 
I mean, I kind of expected it with Peter because that's that yeah. tends to happen. And he's really he just swapped out his red hoodie for like a slightly just like more stylish uh, stylish jacket, like kind of a gray jacket. We got to see um, that emblem. Yeah, it looks good. <laughs> it looks good. So I can't wait. I, I almost hope that the next episode picks up directly where this left off. I don't expect it because I think they would have done it to be continued or something. But I I really – Peter's such a little shithead in this moment, and I really wish there was some sort of reaction other than Anya giving him attitude she would have given him no matter what. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I agree. I agree. But it makes sense as an ending. It's not. It's not, you know, it's not surprising as an ending to what just happened. Yeah, well – uh, real quick, a uh, couple faces of the episode. I agree with you that the symbiote <laughs> face is so cool. Symbiote face. It is like a melty version of what we can expect Venom to look like. And honestly, a lot of times when I am struck by a frame or a face in the episode, really, I'm just sort of like, this feels like a meme. And this feels like a meme. Peter, totally unaware, just working on his project, and the symbiote is, like, lurking behind him, creeping up behind him, all dark and scary-like, and he's none the wiser. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other one for this I just thought was funny, probably for the same reason. This is when Hammerhead creeps around the corner, just, like, watching the fight taking place in his stronghold's living room. And it's just so funny to me that this, like, very scary crime lord is just, like, watching and smirking around the corner while his teenage girl protege does literally all of the dirty work. Or sandy work, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Love it. It's great. Love it. It's great. great. Also, his CGI gun is just so so detailed it's it doesn't look bad i think it it fits in well but it is just it's so detailed yeah (laughs) so yeah yeah i like it i like it a lot i i really think this is definitely my favorite episode of the show that we watched so far Big same this is honestly one that like if someone is iffy about this show i think this would be a good one to just like check out if you've never seen anything else from it or or something yeah um or, you know, only watch, like, the first one or the shorts and weren't vibing with it. Because I think this works as sort of its own little standalone that still, obviously, everybody knows what the black suit stuff is. So, like, yeah. you're not going to be lost when you see that. And you could you could honestly be like, just watch that and I'll fill you in if you don't want to go backwards. Like, there's not that much to... Yeah. To I mean, there is a lot. But you could, you could catch somebody up pretty quickly if it took this episode to convince them. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. And it doesn't even really, like, have much of the... Uh, like, as much as I was saying, I think, last week that, like, oh, the Harry-Peter relationship is kind of the backbone, I think it's a good testament to the show moving forward. This show really does not – this episode really doesn't have much of any of the Harry-Peter stuff in it at all, and it works super well. <laughs> like, it works yeah. great. Well, I think, yeah, the, the Harry-Peter stuff is the foundation of the show kind of overall, or at least the season overall. But I think this episode – shows the potential of this series to succeed even outside of its core foundation, which is good because even though you could carry the Harry Peter thing throughout the entirety of the season, you still want other things to be happening and you still want other moments that surprise you because they aren't Harry and Peter things. And this does exactly that. So I am, I'm, I mean, we keep saying it and we keep acknowledging that we've never seen this show before. So it's all a mystery, but this is such an encouraging episode to me. And I was already on board for this season or mm-hmm. for this series. 
yeah, I really, I was so surprised by this episode. And I, you know, I, I just, when you go into an episode that's literally just called Sandman, it's just like, oh, I think I know what I'm getting myself into. And I love how much this episode just subverts everything that you would expect in that way. Fully would have expected my least favorite episode to be this one. And sure. it was the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you know what? And also, like, I love I love the trend of, like, because Spectacular Spider-Man did this, too, tying together Sandman, the black suit, and you even get Harry, like, on a glider with, like, the with the uh, the snowboard glider in the background. Like, it's it's all, it's, yeah. it's, it's Spider-Man 3 is everywhere. Honestly, everyone. as much as I, like, in my brain know how influential the former cartoons and movies are, I mean, you saw at the very top of this episode, I just constantly underestimate, I guess, in actually applying that influence, how influential they are. You know what I mean? Because even if it wasn't a conscious effort to be like, let's echo Spider-Man 3, there's probably some sort of unconscious linking of characters who appeared in a a big blockbuster movie um, or elements that appear in a big blockbuster movie that then just sort of carry out as part of the accepted canon or part of the accepted canon. You know, and, and like I said, you saw that with the Kimia thing where I just like completely blanked on that, um, that deleted scene. And like, it's totally a perfect, it's a perfectly acceptable explanation that like that just became part of or a part of the the Sandman canon of it all. That like, of course, you're mm-hmm. going to see that again. Same here with, with you know, some hairy stuff and, and some black suit stuff. Yep. Yep. Fascinating. Yeah. What a great episode. Ugh. I really, really liked it. Honestly, probably the first episode of the series that I'm going to just independently rewatch for the hell of it. Mm-hmm. It's always so encouraging when you stumble upon an episode that you just have no idea you're going to love. And, and it's so fun when that happens on this podcast. It's oh, just yeah. like, all right, all right. Oh, yeah. Um, These hidden little gems. <laughs> I agree. Well, if you would like to stumble on some other little gems, you can do so on our Patreon over at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers, where we have all sorts of gems, most of which you can access at any patron level, starting at just $1 a month, including the ability to make us say anything you want on this show, short phrases or weird words through walloping word snappers. So if you crave power... You can have it over at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. In the meantime, you can find us individually all over the place. Derek, where can we find you and all the stuff you're working on? You can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on my YouTube series, Second Chance, which is a video essay series looking at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. What about you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at Ikibuli, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can find me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And on a third podcast called Novel Gaming, which is a podcast with my friends Vicky and Katie about video games and books with little bits and pieces, sand granules, if you will, of other pop culture. You, so, you, you delivered that so weirdly. <laughs> did I? <laughs> yeah, but in a fun way. Not in a you should cut it out way, in a fun way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> If you would like more from Derek and me talking about stuff that isn't Spider-Man, you can check out our monthly podcast called Falling with Style, which is an ongoing Pixar movie marathon. We watch every Pixar movie 
chronologically. And our episode on The Incredibles is out now, available wherever you get your podcast. If you would like to see everything Derek and I are working on, you can find our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com, complete with an archive of all of our episodes, organized however you would like them, by show, all together, um, in order of release. Uh, it's all there. So check that out and follow Walloping Web Snappers on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Walloping Web Pod. If you would like to contact us via email, you can do so at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we would love it if you would please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, but especially on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, because those are the places where people get podcasts most on their phones. Next week, Peter grapples with his cool definitely not evil in any way new suit in the episode symbiotic relationship see you there, see you there. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba!